Kia ora koutou katoa. Ko Daniela Schroeder aho, or Danny aho, uh, no Tauranga aho, uh, no mai haere mai kia, kia ora koutou katoa. Uh, I was saying this morning at East, I have just got on the walker of my te reo journey, so I thought I would start tonight by greeting you in Māori. It's great to be here tonight. Who's excited to be here tonight? That's good news. Um, I'm excited to be here, which is good for you, because if I'm excited, that means I'm hopefully going to be quite passionate and hopefully a bit engaging up here tonight. So uh, the reason I'm excited is because we open God's Word tonight. It's not just a book. It's not just some random words on a page. This stuff can change our lives. Uh, And it has changed mine, this passage these last few weeks as I've been preparing, man, speaking so much truth into my life and my prayer as I've been preparing for tonight is that that will be true for you. That uh, what I bring may may encourage you, may challenge you, may uh, align you more with what God has to say about you uh, and make you see who he is. Uh, And that's good news. That's really good news, and I'm excited to launch in tonight. Uh, And like I said, as I introduced myself, my name's Daniela. I'm originally from Tauranga, now I call Wellington home. I've been part of the street community for six years, uh, and I'm part of the volunteer teaching team. So this isn't my day job at all. Um, I'm a grad lawyer at a firm around around the corner, figuring out my daily grind in commercial law, and mostly loving it, uh, figuring it out as I go. This week, we are in week three of our Exodus Walking Free series. And we have one of the most iconic stories in the Bible that we get to explore tonight. It's the story of Moses and the burning bush. For those of you who grew up in kids' church, this was probably one of those stories that you had one of those felt boards with the felt characters. Do you remember those? I definitely had one of those. But even if you didn't grow up in church, maybe you watched one of the most epic films of all time, The Prince of Egypt, and you are very aware of the story. Um, I have a bit of reputation for chucking in a wee Disney kind of theme in my messages. I haven't gone there tonight, but I have given The Prince of Egypt a shout out. So there we go, ticked that one off. Exodus is an incredible book, an incredible story that tells of the journey of the Israelites, this people uh, called the Israelites and their their move, their journey from slavery in Egypt to freedom. It's their move from slavery to freedom. And over the last two weeks, we've had a bit of background about that. And if you haven't been here, uh, I encourage you go to the app that Simon was talking about and listen to those messages um, that have been shared because they give great background and context. Uh, And But I'll help Hopefully, by giving you a little bit of context before we launch in tonight, we find ourselves, we've met Moses. Moses is the individual, he's an Israelite, he's the individual that God has chosen to be the one to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. Um, And Moses is an ordinary bloke. Uh, There's not that much uh, remarkable about him, and we're going to learn about that tonight, and I think that's awesome. Uh, It says a lot about God's character and who he chooses to use. Uh, And so Moses is an Israelite. And he was in Egypt, Um, so he uh, grew up in Egypt. He actually grew up in the house of Pharaoh. Pharaoh's the ruler of Egypt. A series of events meant that a law was passed that every Israelite family 
um, Pharaoh passed a law that every Israelite family had to kill their firstborn son. He was threatened by this population boom of the Israelites in Egypt, nervous they might overthrow him or challenge his leadership. And so he passed this law to say, maybe this will take care of it. We'll kill the firstborn of each family. But Moses' mother didn't do that. She couldn't bring herself to do that. She saved Moses and she put him in this basket, in this river. And the story goes that uh, Pharaoh's daughter finds this baby and uh, decides to save him. And so uh, long story short, Moses is raised in the house of Pharaoh as an Egyptian. Bearing in mind he is an Israelite, that's his identity but he's raised in the house of Pharaoh as an Egyptian, and he's, um, he's raised with leadership training, Egyptian education. Uh, he, has, he has it all thrown at him. I, I don't know, maybe the equivalent of like private school education. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm making that up. I'm not. Don't take that as theological truth. Uh, it's just a thought, um, but that's who Moses is. But last week, Jenny uh, shared with us that Uh, Moses goes out one day after he'd been raised in Egypt, and he sees that his people, his Israelite people, are being oppressed, violently enslaved by the Egyptians. And he observes this one Egyptian slave master brutally, um, just brutally treating one of his fellow Israelites. And he gets so mad about this because it's so wrong that he kills that Egyptian. Probably not the best move by our boy Moses, uh, but he just gets so annoyed and angry and uh, just outraged by this injustice that he takes matters into his own hands. He kills this Egyptian and then news starts to spread. Pharaoh wants Moses dead. Moses boosts on out of there to a place called Midian because he wants to live. uh, And that's where we find him tonight. He's in this place called Midian. He's fled there out of fear for his life. uh, And he's there as a shepherd working as a shepherd. And the ironic thing is, is that the Egyptians had this thing against shepherds. They thought they were like pretty, a pretty sucky job. That's a great word I just used on the stage of church. Uh, they thought it was a pretty low job. And remember, Moses was raised as an Egyptian, so maybe he inherited that attitude towards shepherds as well. But where does he find himself? Shepherding for 40 years in a desert uh, in Midian. And that's where we are tonight. And so there's these two themes that underlie our series that we're exploring, this walking free series that I want to highlight now, and then we're going to move on into tonight's passage. And and the first is that this journey that we see the Israelites in, and we're going to see in the weeks to come of the move from slavery and literal slavery into literal freedom, it actually serves a deeper purpose of being a picture of what the Christian life is. It's, the, it's a picture that we as, children, as humans, as, as people, were once enslaved ourselves spiritually to sin, to the stuff that separated us from relationship with God. But because of Jesus, the deliverer, uh, we have been brought into freedom through Christ. That's the gospel that we believe, uh, those of us that say we're Jesus people. And so this story is a picture of that. And we need to bear that in mind as we read. And the other theme that we really want to hone in on over these weeks that we're talking about it is that this study of Exodus asks us to consider what does it mean to live a free life? What is freedom? You see, our Western mindset uh, suggests to us that, that freedom is doing whatever we want, whenever we want, wherever we want. 
right? That's what we're told freedom is. Absolutely no rules. But really, I think this is my thought, and I think this is what we gain when we look into what Exodus has to say, that that's not really freedom at all. That's actually just being a slave to ourselves and a slave to our own selfish desires. You know, freedom, true freedom, is a life where we are free to serve and love God. That's true freedom, a life lived in line with who God is and centered on him. And this study of Exodus shows us that. And so keep that in mind as we, as we korero tonight. Uh, and so let's launch in. And as I was looking at this passage, um, I found myself thinking about when I went to primary school, we had these, thing, these things on the wall of every classroom called the five Ps. Did anyone go to a five P primary school? No hands. Maybe it was just a classic Christian school, eh? these weird things on the walls. Um, can we go to the next slide? This is what the five Ps were. Uh, everywhere, be prompt, be prepared, be positive, be productive, be polite. I don't know if productive was actually one of ours. This was just on Google Images. I think ours was be uh, punctual. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Bex is here. Shout out. She was at school with me, so she remembers. Um, but these Ps uh, were intended to guide us as primary schoolers to be better, more well-rounded students. And the reason they were on every wall and they were alliterative uh, was to hopefully help us remember them because they were good principles for us to apply in order to become better, more well-rounded students. And so as I read this passage for tonight, what stood out to me were five C's. And I've used them in the hope that they help us to navigate this narrative and they help us to identify who God is and how he interacts with Moses. And so we can take them away and see that God does the same for us in our own lives. And so shall we launch in? Yeah, let's launch in. I'm going to pray and then we're going to launch in. Uh, God, I, I take a moment to ask you right now to be present with us, to speak to us personally in a way that we really need right now, God. I thank you that you are not a distant God. You're not a separate God. You're not far away, but you're close to us. And that this passage shows so much of your character, so much of your love for your people. Um, I trust you tonight to lead my words that they may bring life and encouragement. Uh, thank you, God. Amen. Amen. So the first C, let's get into it, is the call. The call. And I'm going to read Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. We read, Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. And as Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire, but it was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? When the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God called him out, called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. You see, this is the first recorded interaction we have between God and Moses, and it's a pretty dramatic one. A burning bush. Come on, God. Good work. It's dramatic. It's incredible. And I found myself thinking it's a pretty valid question that Moses asks when he says, why isn't it burning up? Because it's pretty random. And I think there's two reasons why it wasn't burning up. 
one I think was a practical thing God was aware of, is that Moses has been a shepherd in these parts for 40 years. Every day he's woken up, gathered the sheep, out he's gone, done his thing, whatever shepherds do, uh, and returned home and repeat, repeat, repeat for 40 years in desert terrain. It wasn't unusual for there to be the odd occasional bush fire in the desert. So a standard bush that was just burning up probably wouldn't have actually caught Moses' attention in this moment. So I think God's being practical here that he knew he needed to do something a bit different than the norm. Um, But he takes what's familiar to Moses, which is a burning bush, and he just does something fresh with it and something powerful with it. So I think that's one reason. But the other one, and there's a deeper reason I think God does this, is because the burning but not burning bush, it represents a deeper underlying truth and message that God is sharing in this moment. The message that although the Israelite people were being burned, at the hands of Pharaoh, they would not be consumed. An image that although they felt like they were being burned and the heat was on and that they couldn't get free from the enslavement of Pharaoh and Egypt, they would not be consumed by that. It's a picture of hope, I think, in the middle of the desert, in the middle of Moses' daily grind. And because we know that Israel represents our story, and that this story represents our story, this is a truth that's true for you and me as well. That though we might feel the heat, I don't know, maybe right now you walked into church tonight and you're just feeling the heat with whatever's going on in life. May it be an encouragement for you tonight that you will not be consumed by it. You might feel like you're being consumed by it, but you're not because when you have relationship with God, he's got the victory. And so although it feels like the heat is on, you will not be consumed. Take hold of that tonight. And I love that God waited for Moses to turn his attention to the bush and his, and his body physically toward the bush before he actually calls him. So you read that, that Moses thought, I must go over there. So when God sees that he's gone over to look, he calls out. And I think so often I'm like, God, speak to me. But really, I haven't shifted my attention and actually moved myself to a place that's ready to inquire, ready to receive. And we see that when Moses does shift his attention from the natural task of shepherding that he was doing to the supernatural task that God is about to do, that's when God calls him by name and says, Moses, Moses. That's the first C. That's the call. And the second C that we now move on to is the commission. We continue to read from verse five that God says, do not come closer. Remove the sandals from your feet for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their oppressors, and I know about their sufferings. I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. That's a lot of sites. Uh, So because the Israelites' cry for help has come to me, and I've also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them, therefore go 
I'm sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. This is the commission of God. It's probably one of the most iconic moments that God speaks to one of his people in the Bible and calls them and commissions them to a task. And what I observed as I was reading this is is the order of events that God uses in this commission. We see that he starts by establishing his holiness, by saying, remove your sandals, this is holy ground. God establishes his holiness. And then he reminds Moses of who he is, of who Moses is, because he says, I'm the God of your father. Remember that he's been out of Egypt, away from his people for 40 years. But God takes this moment to say, this is who I am. And as I'm saying this, I'm making you aware of who you are. You're an Israelite. This is who you are. This is your identity. And step two in the commission is reminding Moses of that. Step three is proving his awareness of the situation at hand. He says he's seen and observed and heard the suffering of the Israelites in Egypt. He shows he's fully aware of what's going on. Um, which just is such a testament to the fact that God's not far away. God's not distant and disengaged with what's going on for us. And then he gives a solution. He says he's going to come down and and they're going to be led into a place of freedom. And the final thing he does is he assigns that solution to Moses. He establishes his holiness. He reminds Moses of who Moses is. He proves his awareness of the Israelite situation. He gives a solution and then he assigns the solution. This is how God commissions Moses in this moment. And the craziest thing about these first two C's, the call and the commission, is that they don't happen in some big, lofty, incredible, amazing, iconic day in Moses' life. They happen in the middle of his daily grind. He's on the clock. He's got his sheep. He's just doing his thing in the mountains. And God takes this moment to call and commission him. I doubt he woke up that morning thinking, oh, everything's going to change in my life today. For 40 years, he's been doing the same old thing. Do you think you'd wake up after 40 years and think this is when it all changes? Probably not. And isn't that just such a picture of who God is? A God who makes the move toward us. He calls us by name because he knows us personally. And he uses our ordinary and he makes it extraordinary. That's who our God is. And this is encouraging for us because this is still who God is today. And take hold of that tonight, that God calls you by name. And he makes what you've got that's ordinary. He makes it extraordinary. And so we continue to move on in this passage. And the third C is this conversation. We've had the call, we've had the commission, and now we've got this conversation. And we read from verse 11. Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Fair enough, I'd probably ask the same question. God answered, I will certainly be with you. And this will be the sign to you that I'm the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. Then, God asked, uh, then Moses asked God, rather, if I go to the Israelites and say to them that the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? Then what should I tell them? And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God is God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. 
this is my name forever. This is how I'm to be remembered in every generation. You see, this is a conversation. This is a back and forward. Moses has a question. God has an answer. Moses has another question. God still has an answer. And isn't this a picture of how God is with us? And maybe this is what you need to hear tonight, that God's okay with your questions. He's not threatened by them. He's not, he doesn't get defensive when you're uncertain about something. He doesn't get annoyed. But he, but he does have a response. And there comes a point where we bring our questions to God. And when he responds, we've got to take him at his word. Do you see the difference? It's not that he's got a problem with our questions. He doesn't at all. Rather, he invites them and he loves it because it means there's a conversation going on. But when he responds, we have to take him at his word. And I love here that Moses asks, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Fair enough, he's freaking out about this mission. Probably, as we see, he's focused on himself. And God's response is to say, I'll be with you. He doesn't even answer Moses' question. Moses might even be thinking, God, did you even hear me? I said, who am I? And you've now told me who you are. That's not quite what I had in mind. But it's exactly what God had in mind because that is the truth and that is the answer we actually all need. When we, when we doubt ourselves, the answer we actually need to be reminded of is that it's not about us. It's not about what we lack or what we have because God is with us. We're all good. Do you get that? Because God's with us, we're actually sorted. And then Moses asks, who should I, what should I say your name is? And he says, I am who I am. And he reminds him of these promises of the past, of how he spoke to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He reminds Moses of his sovereignty and his power. And he, he, he builds up Moses' faith by reminding him of who he is and the trustworthiness of his character in this moment. You see, in light of who God was, it didn't matter who Moses wasn't. In light of who God was, it didn't matter who Moses wasn't. And that's true for us too. The next four verses of this passage, um, I'm actually going to skip past tonight because uh, we don't have enough time to dig into all of it. Um, but they are God talking logistics with Moses. I encourage you to go and read this passage after tonight uh, and see where the what stands out for you. Um, but God talks logistics. He gives him a, an exact plan of what Moses should do when he goes on this mission, who he should talk to, what's going to happen. Uh, and, and he just gives him a heads up about what lies ahead. And um, like I said, I'm not going to dwell here tonight. But in a few weeks, we see that what God has to say in these verses, the plan he gives Moses comes to pass. It comes to pass. He, it, it happens. And I mean... Not that we're actually surprised, but it's an incredible thing to realize that what God says is going to happen, happens. And that's because he is who he is, and he's fully trustworthy, and he's an all-powerful God who's at work in this moment. But we move on to the fourth C, which is the challenge. And this is really what I felt this week as I was preparing. God um, really spoke to me about because up until this point in this interaction between God and Moses, you might not have noticed, but God's not asked Moses any questions. Moses has had a few that he's thrown God's way, but God hasn't thrown any Moses' way yet. He's done the speaking and Moses has done the asking. 
But in, four, verse, uh, sorry, in chapter 4, verse 2, for the first time, God has a question for Moses. God has a challenge for Moses. And it comes at a point where Moses is having a freak out. Uh, in verse 4, we read, um, oh, let's go back one. There we go. Sorry, verse 1. Moses says to God, what if they won't believe me and will not obey me, but say the Lord did not appear to me, appear to you? Moses is freaking out. He's doubtful about whether God's plan's actually going to work. He's imagining being accused of being a fool or a liar. He's freaking out because he has no control whatsoever over what's going to happen. It's outside of his human control, and he's having a bit of a moment. And what does God say? The Lord asked him, what's that in your hand? A staff, Moses replied. And clearly God knows the answer to the question he asks. It's not that like God knows what's in Moses' hand. Uh, he earlier just told Moses to take off his sandals. He can see he's wearing sandals. So if he can see he's got shoes on his feet, he can see he's got a staff in his hand. This isn't a problem of God having a problem with his eyesight and like needing some clarification about Moses' current accessories. He's asking this question for the purpose of drawing Moses' attention away from what's outside of his control and toward the one thing that is in his control in this moment, his staff. That's why he asks this question. It's not for God's sake. It's for Moses' sake. And as I was preparing and reading this, what stood out to me is that the staff that Moses is holding represents so many things to and about Moses. Yeah, it's just a staff, but it actually had so many more meanings to Moses as a person at this time in his life. And like an obvious one is that it represented his job. This is how he makes a living. This is the instrument he needs to do his job every day to carry out the task, to make his money, to survive. This is what uh, the most obvious instrument representing his job, his employment. Uh, his career at this stage. But it also represents a skill that he had. He'd been doing this for 40 years. Like he would have been pretty good with his staff. He would have been like a staff expert. Maybe people in the community were like, oh, Moses, he knows how to use that staff. He's great with the sheep. I don't know. Um, But I can't help but think he would have become pretty good with the staff, knowing what to do, knowing how to use it for the purpose of shepherding the flock. But it also represents a position of influence that Moses has. Sure, it was just over the sheep, but it was the tool that enabled him to lead and to guide those sheep. That's what the staff enabled him to do. And I also wonder if maybe, maybe it represented kind of a source of frustration and exhaustion for Moses. He's been doing this thing for a long time. And it's not what he planned on doing. It's not what he expected to be doing, but he's still here doing the same old thing day in, day out. And maybe he was just a bit done with it as well. I don't know. But I can't help but think I would be maybe in that moment if I'd been doing the same thing every day and felt like there was no other place for me to go. Maybe it just was like, oh, that's right. That's right. Who knows? But God points to it and he says, throw it on the ground. And Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. The Lord told Moses, stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. So he stretched out his hand and he caught it and it became a staff in his hand. 
This will take place, God continued, so that they'll believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to you. This is a pretty crazy situation that happens. God transforms a staff into a snake and then back into a staff. Like it's crazy stuff. But what we realize is that it's because Moses obeys God's call to release the staff. Moses obeys the call to release it. And then God can transform it into something miraculous and into something dangerous. And God does this for two purposes. One, I think, is to build Moses' faith and also to bring belief to the people he's about to encounter, to build faith and to bring belief. It's a double-pronged purpose. And I can't help but wonder if God did this with Moses' staff. What does he want to do with what's in our hand? What does he want to do with what's in our hand? And maybe what's in your hand is something that you use on the daily for your job to make a living. Maybe it's a hammer or a computer or a university textbook or a stethoscope. I don't know what it is in your hand. Maybe you've got something that you're really skilled at using and it's a real gifting and you've got a great reputation for your ability to use that thing. Maybe like a a cake tin or a paintbrush, or a surfboard, or a coffee machine. I don't know what it is. Or maybe you've got a position of influence in your hands that enables you to lead others. Maybe it's a life group that you're in charge of, a sports team that you're the captain of, a group of juniors in your office that you've been tasked with taking care of. Maybe it's the massive as a leader, or the student council at your high school. I don't know. Or maybe you're wishing that that's what you were seeing when you looked in your hands, but really all you're seeing is something that you're a bit frustrated by and exhausted with. It's just a bit old and you're a bit over. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's unemployment or debt. or Maybe it's your relationship, your marriage, or your grades, your, your flat. I don't know what it is for you. But whatever it is, do you believe that God wants to transform it? for the purpose of building your faith and bringing belief to the people around you. Do you believe it? Do you want to believe that? And the craziest thing is that after God's power meets with what's in Moses' hand, we see on the next slide that the staff goes from being described as just a staff in uh, chapter 4, verse 2, to being described as God's staff in chapter 4, verse 20. There's a change of ownership once God messes and touches the staff. And that's true for us too. When we obey God's call to release what's in our hand, he comes and transforms it and there's a change of ownership. And the reality of this is that what was once heavy in our own hands is now light because it's in God's hands. And that's, I don't know about you, but I want that in my life. I want the things I'm carrying to feel light in my hands because they're held by his. And we're going to move on and we're going to come to land on the fifth sea now, which is the compromise. It's this passage that we read, and I'm just going to summarize it for the sake of time. Moses pushes back again on God, even though there's been these miracles. So he turns the staff into a snake, and then he does something crazy to Moses' hand and returns it back to its full health. And then he says, even if those miracles don't convince the people, go to the river and I'll turn the water into blood. Like he gives them three great, uh, reliable options to prove to the people that God's who he says he is. 
Um, and, and, and Moses in this moment pushes back and he says, please, I've never been eloquent. Uh, I'm, my mouth and my tongue, they're slow, they're sluggish. And God says, but who placed a mouth on humans? Who makes a person mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I? Now go, I'll help you speak. I'll teach you what to say. Again, God has an answer for this problem that Moses has identified. But then Moses, again, he pushes back. This time he just flat out says, please, God, just, just send someone else. After all he's witnessed, after all God's spoken, he still doubts his ability to do this thing. And this is when we say God gets a bit angry. He says, we read that God's anger burned against Moses. And what he says, he goes, fine. Short, long story short, in that passage, God says, we'll use your brother Aaron. He can come. He's pretty good at speaking. How about I'll speak to you. You speak to Aaron. Aaron will speak to the people for you. We'll compromise on this. We'll make a deal. And what we see is that God's willing to work with Moses and his doubts. Even though they're invalid and even though they don't matter at all, God doesn't tap out of using Moses in this moment, but he meets him in the middle. He makes compromise. And what's interesting is that Moses is actually wrong about what he says about himself here when he says that he's not very eloquent. He was actually really eloquent. He was actually an incredibly good speaker. We read in the book of Acts in chapter 7, which is like a, it's like a throwback summary of the story. Like the writer of Acts is explaining it. And it says that Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in his speech and actions. He was good at this talking stuff. But for whatever reason in this moment, either he's flat out making up an excuse to try and tap out of this, or he's just forgotten what's true about himself. I don't know which it was, but he's wrong. Either way, he pushes back against God and uses this as an excuse. But what we see is that God works with him through this. And he gives him, a, he compromises with him here because uh, his call isn't, isn't affected. His, his commissioning of Moses isn't actually going to change because when God's at work, God's at work, and we can't change that. But I find it interesting that this deal that, we'll, that they make and that he gets uh, Aaron to be the mouthpiece, what we'll come to see in the next few weeks is that it's actually a bit annoying logistically for Moses. It gets kind of annoying. Can you imagine? He gets to this point, he hears from God. He's got these people in front of him, but he's got to go to Aaron. No, I think he said that. No, this. No, no, not that. You know, a bit of a, what did you say? No, I don't know if I heard you right. I don't know, I'm making this up, obviously, but you get the idea that Moses has to receive and pass on, and then it needs to be passed on, and that has to continue to happen. It's logistically a bit of a headache. And I think it just shows that God's okay with, he works with us, and he compromises, and he, he, he can deal with um, working with us, but we have to realize that our human decisions still have human consequences, you know, our human decisions still have human consequences. And a consequence for Moses is that because of his pushback, because of his problem that he had with himself or his, his, his lacking self-belief, the consequence is dealing with the logistical nightmare that you're going to come to see a little bit in the next few weeks. But it doesn't stop God from moving. This passage, I know we've zoomed through it, but we've talked about tonight the call, the commission, the conversation, the challenge, and the compromise. Five C's that um, I hope for you 
are kind of like those five P's were for me as a primary school kid. You know, these ideas, these, these um, principles, these attributes, these things that we can take hold of and remember and apply and realize that although these happened for Moses, these are happening and these are true for us as well because God is who he is. I am who I am, he said. That means that the God of this story is the God of today and that we can put our faith and our trust in the story for ourselves. And as I'm just going to ask the band to come up, uh, if that's all good. start to see some people stand around the room and make their way up. Um, because I don't know what it is for you tonight that may have stood out and how the Holy Spirit may have spoken to you. I pray and hope that he has. Um, and I don't know if there's a C in particular that you want to take hold of, but can I s- suggest that that challenge, that question that God asks Moses of what's in your hand is a question and a challenge that he's asking every single person in this room tonight. What's in your hand? What's in your hand? And it's interesting, I'm just... A story I'm thinking of now, it's just come to me, is I was talking with my flatmates last night about one of my flatmates went to this thing at the Newtown Community Centre yesterday called a crop share. Uh, And it was this thing she read about on Facebook. And basically, you bring what you have an abundance of and you turn up to the community hall and you put it on a table. And this is a very eclectic mix of people from around Newtown. Um, And everyone goes around and says who they are and says what they've brought and they share it, and, and people take what they need from it. And we were talking about how quirky this idea is, but how awesome it is. Bianca took lots of lemons stolen from our landlord's tree. Um, <laughs> I love that it was like abundance of what you have, and it's like, oh, abundance of what our landlord has. Anyway, um, and we, Bianca and I were talking and saying that this is kind of like a picture of, it should be a picture of church, that you take what you have to offer, you bring it to the table so that the people around the table can partake and take what they need. And I think that's the same idea of what's in your hand. What, are you bringing it to be used by God to, be, to, to bless others, to speak to others, to build belief in others? Do you want to believe that what you've got in your hand has the power to do that? Because it does. It's up to you whether you want to start to believe that it does. And so I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing. We're going to worship. But if this challenge of what's in your hand has got you tonight, can I encourage you to use this space to physically put your body where your heart is of of letting go and laying down and releasing what's in your hand because you're daring to believe God's going to transform it for the purpose of building your faith and bringing belief to other people. Do you want to dare to believe it tonight? And if you do, don't just do nothing about it. Come forward, release it. Ask God to transform it. And if you want people to pray with you and stand alongside you as you do that, that's awesome. We've got a team who wants to do that with you. Um, But don't just stay where you are if you know you need to move somewhere new tonight. So, I ask you to stand, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing. Um, The song we're singing is, we are singing more. It's this awesome song written by um, some of our whanau here at the street, Tom and Jamie, and there's this awesome part in it that I love. Probably going to get the words wrong. Um, It says, I want to see signs and miracles. I want to know a power that overflows. Something like that. Is that correct? There we go. I want to go where your spirit goes. I want to be ready when you call.
I want to I pray this for myself tonight. And if, if you're in that place and your spirit's in that place, can I encourage you to use these words, take hold of them for yourself and sing them out as a declaration of where you're at. Um, and, and yeah, you can come forward and do that uh, if you want. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you that your, oh, your character and your goodness is so evident through the story. And it's a, it's a, you are trustworthy. You're deserving of our, of our trust. You're worthy of our time. You're deserving of our lives, God, because you've, you've proved who you are to us. And I pray that in this moment, as we have this time to worship, to sing, that, that we may take hold of it as an opportunity to lay down what we know is in our hand, that we are believing for you to transform for the purpose of building our faith and mainly bringing belief to the people around us, God. Bringing belief, bringing faith to the people that we encounter. God, use what's in our hand tonight, tomorrow, this week. May we be aware of what's in our hand. Maybe, may we be willing to lay it down and may we be believing you're going to use it. So as we sing, Holy Spirit move. Lead us to a new place with you tonight. Thank you, God. Amen.